electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money in my job. Not just to entertain, but to educate, explain how days like that can happen. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Newsflash, J-Pal does not work for the stock market. He doesn't care if the Dow plunges 764 points, S&P plummets 2.49%, or the NASDAQ nosedives 3.23%. The house of pain. He only cares about price stability, or more specifically, the lack of price stability. And as far as he's concerned, the stock market is part of the problem. I'm not saying the Federal Reserve has a secret plan to crush stock prices. At least not any more than they had a secret plan to boost stock prices during the worst phase of the pandemic. The market's incidental and collateral. What the Fed cares about is the economy. They heat it up when it's too cold and they cool it down when it's too hot. Right now, it's too darn hot. Jay Powell's doing everything he can to beat inflation. So the idea that the market would rally after his comments yesterday you know, they were rambunctious as comments. I know them. I mean, those were angry comments. He'd done it in a sotto voce way, but it should never have rallied. What we're seeing today is the meltdown we should have had yesterday. There was some sort of bizarre delay after the press conference, as if traders were so busy shopping for the holidays that they forgot about the market until after the close. Other than a few offhand comments about how we've gotten a couple of decent inflation numbers, Powell could not have been more clear that he is not thrilled with what's going on here. That he's not just trying to stabilize prices at these levels. He wants to roll back the price increases from the last couple of years. He's not merely looking for the consumer price index to come in lower than expected. He wants it just plain lower. Think absolute, not relevant. In his ideal world, he wants you to go to the supermarket and see kind of the same prices we saw three years ago, or at least prices you'd expect if we had only had 2% annual inflation since the start of the pandemic. And you and I who go to the supermarket know that's not true. 
He wants to see plenty of used cars selling for low prices. He wants to see those funny stick guys and men that blow in the breeze. He wants more of those guys, you know, and they go like this and stuff. He wants vacation. He wants vacant homes, something that might be a stretch given that we heard from Lenar this morning. They're simply not building many new homes. And not, and not many people want to move from their existing homes. I hadn't thought this. I read the Lenar call. It's so easy to realize. They don't want to move from their existing homes because they got those incredibly low mortgages, low interest, and they'll lose them if they, if they move. So the low houses, the lower homes are taken, which brings me back to the stock market, which is what we care This is not used car market home. This is stock market home. Jay Powell knows the most effective way to fight inflation is by putting people out of work. But he knows he can't cause mass layoffs overnight. Other than a few people on his staff, Powell doesn't have the power to fire anyone. I, I don't even know if he can fire, fire people on his own staff. But he also knows the stock market has a huge impact on how people spend. You know what they call it? They call it the wealth effect, all right? That's what we're talking about here. He needs recent retirees to deplete their savings so they'll come back to work. He needs the people who are overextended on their credit cards. It looks like the defaults are going up big to sell some of their stocks. He told us we're about 4 million workers shy of achieving wage stabilization. His biggest worry, Powell doesn't know what, what percentage of people have their life savings in the stock market and therefore might come back to work if stocks keep going down. He doesn't know how many workers in tech companies might need to seek other employment as their SBC, that's the, what the smart people call it, stock-based compensation evaporates in value. <laughs> what Powell knows is that the market's up substantially in the last decade, up enough to make it an obstacle to fighting inflation. So yes, while he's not explicitly trying to send stocks lower... He's certainly not going to shed any tears over it. If anything, lower stock prices are a win for the Fed. Now, we spend a huge amount of time worrying about when or if we're going to have a recession around here. I get that. It's a real important question. But from the Fed's perspective, it's not the key issue. You have to understand Powell thinks strategically, not tactically. Maybe he reads the Lenar conference call and sees how few homes are actually being built in the country. He can't change that by raising interest rates. In fact, higher rates make the problem worse because the home builders aren't dumb enough to spend more on building into a series of rate hikes, at least not anymore. They used to be when I was growing up. So what can Powell do? The smartest thing to do would be to dump hundreds of billion dollars worth of long-term bonds that the Fed has on its balance sheet, something that would instantly send mortgage rates higher. Lately, those rates have been going uh, lower due to recession fears. If you get them a little bit higher, then maybe home prices will actually come down. And that's what he wants. But the second smartest thing Powell could do is what he's already done. Warn us that higher rates are going to come. That's better than Alan Greenspan, who questioned whether stocks were up because of rational exuberance in 1996, right before one of the greatest multi-year bull runs in history. It wasted and hurt the credibility of the Fed. He doesn't want that to happen. These days, though, so many people have their compensation tied up with stocks that if Powell can publicly indicate his utter indifference to the stock market by taking short-term rates up so high that they're a great investment, you can presume we're going to have downward pressure and a downward pause. There's one problem with his plan. Just as Lenar's executives were, re- were ready when the stock market stalled and mortgage rates went higher, most other execs know what to do when there's a slowdown, but only some of them are actually willing to pull the trigger. The older line companies, the industrials, seem most savvy. They know a recession means it's time to hunker down. 
They're swift. They're brutal. It's like they're bad Santas. They're making a firing list. They're checking it off once, and then they terminate. Different story out west. See, out west in Silicon Valley, where the real crazy price inflation is, it's different. I think they don't have any idea how to hunker down. I don't know, maybe in their third vacation home, they have a little hunker down room. For whatever reason, these people are gun shy. If anything, they seem addicted to hiring more people. Why? In order to land and expand or create moats or dominate the total adjustable market, whatever gobbledygook language they can use to take your money and put it in their pocket. They know they can inflate their earnings or lack thereof by paying people in stock. I think Silicon Valley is in denial. They don't want to acknowledge the new reality that their businesses are much more fragile than they thought. So it's time to start husbanding cash. See, it turns a lot of, this is what's really amazing. A lot of these digitizers are more geared to advertising than people realize. Or at the very least, they all thought advertising would move online, creating a perpetual bonanza. I don't know a soul out West who believed that the ad business was cyclical, even though advertising as a whole has always been hostage to the economy. Digital advertising used to be different, but not anymore. Many companies got so many ads from crypto companies that they thought they had annuity, a crypto annuity going on. Crypto may not be going away entirely, but I think we've seen the last of the big ad blitzes. I think a lot of the actors and big-time sports guys, they may have learned their lesson, too. Yeah, I mean, don't you like want to boom when you see them? Anyway, then there are companies that are in the marketing or customer relations management, CRM. They're all good until their corporate customers cut back on marketing, which is what most businesses do when there's a recession. There are other tech outfits that used to dominate a niche. Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure. Now you got Google Cloud. You got cloud infrastructure. You got Oracle. You got Snowflake. And they've gotten, look, they're competitive. And there are dozens and dozens of companies to analyze other people's data. I have to tell you, if I hear one more company that says, you know what, we have a proprietary way to analyze their data, I mean, enough! We only need a couple to do that. There's really only one at private equity firm, Toma Bravo, that seems interested in even acquiring these cloud players. Now, it wouldn't matter if all these tech companies only amounted to a hill of beans, but they actually make up 26% of the S&P. Forget the NASDAQ. It's riddled with them. And they recession recession at all. They're recession irrelevant. Bottom line, when you add it all up, investors have to learn that the Fed is not your friend. It's not your pal. If anything, it's your enemy. At least until J-Pal finally beats inflation. And then we can all be friends again. How about we let Clyde Michigan Clyde? Hi, Jim. Hi, Clyde. Clyde, what's First up? First time caller, long time listener. Okay. I was hoping you'd give me some advice on Generac Holdings, GNRC. They're right, really I'm going to tell you why I'm worried about Generac. See this new Ford Electric 150? What do you need an extra? What do, you, what do you mean? What do you need a backup generator for? When an F-150, you plug it in, it can light up your whole darn house. I say out with the Generac, in with the F-150. All right, it's time to realize the Fed is not your pal, buddy, friend anymore. If anything, it's your enemy. At least till J-Pal finally beats inflation. And then we'll, that'll be kumbaya. Oh, man, money tonight. Going once, going twice, sold to your portfolio. I'm sitting down with Richie Brothers Auctioneer to see if this would be a strong under-the-radar machinery fight. Then, we're continuing our top-notch series with the sectors of the year that I like 
closing out uh, with the healthcare space. I'm revealing three stocks that I think could have a pretty good year. And in a market like this one, is it time to circle back to a company that is a database company? One like S&P Global that people don't understand? I'm checking in with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We're always looking up for really interesting stories. I've got a new one for you. This is a company I've known for quite some time, but not well. I'm talking about Ritchie Brothers Auctioneers, which helps its customers manage their fleets of heavy equipment, trucks, and other large assets. That includes selling all the stuff through live auctions. I was an auctioneer at one point in my career, so I'm very interested. Here's a stock that's been a steady outperformer for years, even as it's down about 10% for 2022. That's declined mostly because Ritchie Brothers pulled back hard last month after announcing the acquisition of IAA, a global marketplace for damaged and low value vehicles. We're going to be spending some time on this one. 
Looks like somebody on Wall Street doesn't like it. They don't like the cash and stock deal. But maybe we can convince them otherwise. Let's take a closer look with Ann Vandozzi. She's the CEO of Richie Brothers Auctioneers. Learn more about the story. Ms. Vandozzi, welcome to Man Money. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, it is great to have you. And first, because it's first time, tell people what Richie does, because it's a pretty interesting niche business. It's an incredible business. I've been with the company for three years. We are like eBay for large industrial equipment. So when you think about you finish a construction project and you don't need your excavator anymore, uh, we transact $6 billion of that around the world. Now, I mean, do I, are there centers where I could go and bid? That's the beauty of our business. For sellers, there are centers to drop the equipment because when a construction project is done, what are you going to do with the excavator? Right, right. But buyers are almost entirely online. They can come to the centers to kick the tires because the equipment is there, but largely they're bidding online from their homes. Okay, who are these buyers? We are in, uh, we have buyers from over 100 countries globally, uh, but they're small business owners. They're buying the equipment to get their work done, largely. Okay, so you had an incredible third quarter. Uh, A lot of people worried about the economy slowing down. I would think you have a better handle on the the economy than almost anybody on the Fed. How are things? It's an incredible business. So we like to say we are both a cyclical business when the economy is hot, but better than that, we are a counter-cyclical business. So when things are great and equipment is changing hands, we make a lot of money. When things are tough and people need to pull back and they need liquidity, we make even more money. All right, well, talk to people about your returns over the last... Well, many years. It's it's really an incredible business. We, uh, you know, uh, so think about it this way. Six billion dollars of equipment that transacts. It's largely consigned. It's not our money. So we connect buyers, we connect sellers and we generate over 100 percent of net income in cash every year. Wow. All right, so then that brings me to this acquisition, IAA transaction. This sounds like a business that gets into a far more competitive area, a more pedestrian area where you may not have an edge. And there are some analysts, including a very smart fellow from Bank of America, that just says, look out, not what we signed up for, downgrade to neutral, right when the deal was done. Right, yeah, no CEO likes to see that reaction early days. Uh, We've been spending a lot of time with shareholders, including Bank of America uh, and other analysts, explaining the deal. The confusion on day one was hearing cars and thinking cyclicality. Exactly. And that's what I said on air. I said, I don't know. I've been in this car business. I'm not sure, especially with like the problems you're sharing with the Carvanas and stuff. No question. This is an incredible slice of the car industry called salvage cars. It is completely counter cyclical. In fact, this is how it works. A car goes into a body shop. It gets assessed for the cost of the repair. Let's say the body shop says this is going to be $15,000. If the used car pricing is high, the car will get repaired. As the used car pricing falls, the car is deemed a total loss, and it goes to one of two players. Right, a total car. My daughter had a total car. I couldn't figure out what the heck happened to it. Did it go to Richie? Probably probably went to went to either IAA or it's one and only one other competitor. It is a duopoly of a completely counter-cyclical business, generating incredible margins and a 12.8% CAGR growth over a decade. So what happened day one was confusion. Uh, Bank of America actually hosted a call with us uh, two Fridays ago uh, because they wanted us to be able to tell the story because there was so much misunderstanding early days. We had almost and what's been the reception? People. Have you been able to change anybody's mind? That's a bad deal to be a good deal? Uh, so today's market, broadly aside, All you've right, seen yeah. a pretty impressive rebound of the stock, even as we're just starting the conversations with our shareholders. Now, so what made you go to this company? Are you an auctioneer by background? I am not. What uh, I run companies. So this is my okay. third CEO gig, but my first public company CEO right. gig. The last two were private equity backed. 
Uh, nobody calls me when all is well. People call me typically when businesses stagnate. Ritchie Brothers is magical, but it hadn't grown in about a decade. When I got the call, it's never about what is there to fix. It's always about how big can it be. Uh, the space we're in, there's $300 billion of used equipment that changes hands a year, and we do six of it. When I got here, we did five of it. Uh, there's a long way to go. It's an incredible trajectory in a counter-cyclical, magical business. And we have a number of infrastructure bills coming out of Washington that we say add up to $100 billion. We don't think there's enough new equipment to actually get the job done. Will Ritchie Brothers lots be pretty, pretty busy? The lots will be busy, and the beauty is if there's high demand, our pricing is high. If there's low demand and the bills don't come through, lots of liquidity. And you need. get a good percentage no matter what? No matter what. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, I, you know, I tried to get your company on once before. I mean, I like businesses that nobody else is in. Right. And I, it does. I can't. I don't know anybody, a listed company who competes with you. We are the biggest by a factor of 10. It's a magical place to be. Well, look, I got to hand it to you. And I, I'm glad that you said that about the about the deal. When I first heard about it, I said, why would they want to be the dominant player in one industry and just be an also ran in other? But you are not really in the other people's businesses. You got it. Very few people are in salvage cars. In fact, only two. Wow. Well, I've got to tell you, I think it's a very exciting situation. I'm so glad I finally got you to come on because I've always seen you on the new high list, new high list, new high list, no matter what. And that's a credit to you. Okay. That's Ann Fandozzi. She's the CEO of Richie Brothers Auctioneer Skies. Now that I heard better about what I was so worried about, which is this auto business, I realized it's not about autos. It's about total autos, and no one knows what to do with those. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, a look back and a view to the future. Take a holistic view of the healthcare sector with Kramer next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. day for the averages. To, uh, look, look, it was all the delayed reaction from yesterday's Fed meeting. It's more important than ever to look back on the past year and see what worked. Which stocks managed to go higher in the face of relentless rate hikes, fears of a slowing economy? 
All week, we've been highlighting the best performing stocks, the SP 500, and their components. We've been through energy, the utilities, and the consumer staples, although after today's beatdown, only energy and utilities are up for the year. Next up, though, is healthcare, which is down just over 2% for 2022. What a year that we have to celebrate the companies are only down 2%. We don't want to paint with too broad a brush when it comes to healthcare because there are 64 of these stocks in the S&P 500, and they don't necessarily have that much in common. This year, Wall Street's been very receptive to some subgroups and very hostile to others. And that's why the best-performing healthcare stock is up more than 50% for the year, while the worst performers down roughly 70%. Think about it. Healthcare captures everything from insurance companies to hospital operators, medical device makers, the whole range of drug makers. Even within drugs, there's a huge difference between big pharma, these are established companies with enormous earnings, and smaller biotech outfits, which tend to be a lot more speculative. Many of them don't have any sales, let alone earnings. At this point, regular viewers know what this market wants because we've had a year to get used to the new formula. Wall Street likes profitable companies with consistent results, nice dividends, and reasonably valued stocks that make things and do stuff. All right, big pharma in a nutshell, right? Which is why, why three of the nine best-performing healthcare stocks in the S&P were pharma. There was Merck. How much we like what they're doing, with, especially with the vaccines. Eli Lilly. It's looking weight loss there. And Bristol Myers with an amazing cancer franchise. On the other hand, while the larger biotechs behave more like big pharma, the smaller ones feel more like the speculative stocks. They trade based on their future prospects many years down the road, which makes them a lot less attractive when inflation is raging and interest rates keep Keep rising. Just like every other sector, the high multiple growth oriented healthcare stocks got obliterated this year. Whether we're talking medical device or the life science arm dealer or, or the veterinary medicine stocks, this has been really good for a long time. Or something like Align Tech. That was the worst performer in the group. I don't know. I, I, most of my friends have a line. You know, the stuff, well, you can't see it. I don't have it. Meanwhile, the biggest. Meanwhile, the biggest winners were boring, consistent operators with cheap stocks. You know, if you were in our, if you were in our, our, our meeting today, our club meeting, we talked about how beautiful boring is in praise of boring. It's kind of like Erasmus. Consider the top three. Cardinal Health, okay, which had an activist, McKesson, and Cigna. While Cigna is a straightforward health insurance play, more on that in a second, Cardinal and McKesson are both drug distributors. Boring middleman business, yet they're up roughly 52 and 48 percent, respectively. The other major drug distributor, Amaris Horse Bergen, was the seventh best, up nearly 25 percent. I've always loved those companies. Rather than going into them individually, it's more important to go over why the drug distributors could catch the fire this year. These stocks have not been good long-term, have not been good long-term performers. In fact, from 2015 through 2020, they were dogs. Why was we in a powerful bull market? In the middle of the decade, we had a wave of drug pricing controversies. Hey, remember that fellow Martin Shkreli? That made us wonder if these middlemen really need to exist. They also had to deal with liabilities related to their role in, yes, the opioid epidemic. But the drug distributors are still here, and I don't see them vanishing anytime soon. I just see them getting bigger. Plus, earlier this year, they reached a massive $26 billion settlement, along with Kramer Fave J&J, that resolved most of the state and local opioid claims. Although that's a lot of money, it does get rid of a major overhang. So how come these stocks finally caught fire in 2022? Simple. These are, without a doubt, the 
most textbook recession-proof stocks there are. They put up consistent numbers regardless of the state of the economy. At the same time, they came, they, they came into the year with incredibly low valuations. Cardinal was trading at just nine times earnings. McKesson was at 11 times earnings. That's exactly what Wall Street wanted this, wanted this year. I, I, those, valua- those valuations were ridiculously low in retrospect because uh, of how good these companies are. Now, Cardinal used to be the worst performing of the group. It's now become the best thanks to Elliott Management, that very smart activist firm I always talk about, which took a big position in the stock this year. Remember, when they come in, they offer a real plan, and you should adopt it because it's more thought out than yours. But Kessler was a close second. They're the, the best run. As for Amersource uh, Bergen, the new laggard of the group, a lot of that's because their top shareholder, Walgreens, has sold off about 40% of its position since the end of March. we got to go back and do a deeper dive on this, Walgreens. Going forward, though, I'm less enthusiastic about the drug distributors because they're, they're no longer ridiculously cheap. And they'll go out of style the moment the Fed decides to ease up. And a lot of people are already trying to position themselves for that. That's premature. Said that today at the club meeting and also said it on Sarah's fantastic show. How about the third best performing healthcare stock? It's called Cigna. Just like the drug distributors, the managed care names roared this year because they're highly recession resistant. But the best of breed United Health Group, UNH, was only up 5%, while Humana, which we own for the Charitable Trust, rallied nearly 10%. I like it. It's a great turnaround story. Cigna left both of them. The dust fell up 44%. How do they do it? It's not that complicated. Cigna's turned in one strong quarter after another. They've gotten very good at UPOD, under-promising and over-delivering. Going into next year, though, this is far from my favorite because Cigna's got a higher proportion of its, its business from corporate customers, meaning it'll take a bigger hit if Jay Powell gets his wish and puts a real dent into the job market. While I like the managed care stocks, I really re- re- I'm telling you, you man is the right one. And, and we mentioned, if you want to know more at the CNBC Investing Club meeting, or United Health Group, which has been trading sideways for months, I think it's due for some upside. It's a real good company. Beyond the top three performers, let me give you a few others that I find kind of enticing. Well, there's Pfizer. Remember, I like boring which didn't do much this year because people were worried about a post-COVID fall for the vaccine business. But Pfizer used those vaccine profits to make some major acquisitions that rounded out their pipeline. They bought Arena Pharma for its bowel disease franchise, Biohaven for its migraine pill, you know I like that one, and Global Blood Therapeutics for a host of rare diseases. Best of all, Pfizer just sells at eight times earnings. I mean, Dr. Portal is better than that. Next up is Danaher. That's an arms dealer to the life sciences and diagnostic industry. This is another one that was dead money in 2022 because of its COVID testing exposure and how that rolled over. Danaher is one of the best run companies in any industry, which is why we own it for the Chapel Trust. And I think it's going to have a bang up 2023 as the business will be up against some really easier comparisons. Finally, some of these medical tech names have been beaten down to the point where they're too enticing to ignore. One that's been on the show many times, Edwards Life Sciences, makes non-invasive heart valve replacements and surgical monitoring equipment. This is a growth stock that's down 43% for heaven's sake, even as, yes, the underlying business hasn't deteriorated that much at all. If you're ever tempted to buy a beaten-down tech stock in this environment, maybe you should be thinking about med tech. Bottom line, when you look at the year's best-performing healthcare stocks, I don't see the drug distributors repeating those gains in 2023. And while I bet the managed care names can keep winning, I'd rather swap out a Cigna and swap into UNH or UMANA. Todd in Ohio. Todd. Booyah, Jim. Hey, listen. Booyah, Todd. Lifetime Fitness, based out of Minnesota, became a publicly traded company last year around October. It's a it's a low it's a low cost stock. It's entered into an mm-hmm. arrangement 
with United Healthcare, based out of Minnesota as well, who has an arrangement with Medicare, so that lifetime fitness um, people who have certain Medicare benefits can um, go in for free, go in through their Medicare right. benefits. Right, and that's one of the reasons why I like Lifetime so much. At 12 bucks, we spent some time with them. They're right next door. It's more of the country club of... Uh, uh, of workout places, and I think it's great. And I, you know, we met with uh, with Barbara McCrady. We we knew him from before the first time around. And I think you're right. I think, as a matter of fact, I'm going to paint you a very pay a very high compliment. I think Todd's got horse sense. All right, let's go to Dave in Virginia. Dave, booyah, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, Dave? I'm very good. Richmond, Virginia. I want to give a shout out to my UVA Cavaliers, undefeated, ranked second in the country. I like um, the Cavs. I've always been a Cavs fan, never a Duke fan. I'm really sorry about that. Okay, oh, that's, that's where I, I like, am. I like, it's where I stay. Okay. I like to. I like to hear that big game against Houston on Saturday at Charlottesville. Anyway, all right. Well, hey, okay. Jim, about a doing? year ago, about a year ago, excuse me, you were recommending Eli Lilly. I did an analysis of Lilly, Bristol Myers Squibb, and Merck, and I ended up buying Merck on on my own research. I've held it about a year. I've got a 50% gain in it. Um, I'm thinking it might be time to ring the register. It's near its 52-week high of one, which is... Oh, well, let's go over this. Let's go over this, Dave. Dave, here's the problem. It's such a great company. It's doing so many things terrific. If you want to schnitzel a little, take it off, because bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs get slaughtered, okay. But I happen to think that Merck is dynamite, and I hate to think you getting rid of any more than just a little bit to take a good profit so you are not piggish. All right, when you look at the year's best performing healthcare stocks, I don't see the drug distributors repeating these gains in 2023 before we're that good. Much more made money, including my exclusive with a company that I think is a total gem, and that's S&P Global. It's after its investor day. The company has its sights set on a new strategic vision that I know of and I was actually part of because I helped sell a company to them. They are real smart. Then... Today, our monthly meeting for the CNBC Investing Club. I saw something in the chart of Eli Lilly that brought to light an important investing lesson that I've learned over the years. I'll reveal it, and you'll like it. And, of course, order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. So what do you do with a high-quality company that uh, has gone out of style just on the Wall Street fashion show, not in reality, because some of its businesses take a hit in a rising interest rate environment or in a slower issuance environment? That's a question we need to ask ourselves about S&P Global, which is mainly a ratings agency for the bond market, but also runs all the S&P and Dow Jones indices, as well as having a market intelligence division for institutional money managers. Tough to be in S&P Global's line of work when rates are on the rise, just buying issuance plummets. That's why the stock peaked almost a year ago and has since fallen almost 30% from its highs, even as it's had a nice bounce for the last couple of months. I think the stock is wildly, wildly underestimated in terms of what this company could do. But eventually, I'm sure it can make a comeback because S&P Global's historically been a terrific performer uh, in bull markets, but I think it could be in even tough markets. Uh, and so what I want to do right now is bring on Doug Peterson. I've known Doug for a long time, and he's got a great vision for what to do. He's president of S&P Global. Doug, it's a pleasure. And I want right now for people to understand that when I first met you, I realized very quickly, this is not a company that just does ratings. You have become the main technology engine 
behind market analysis and intelligence. And people don't know that. So I want to give you the floor to explain to people who you really are. Well, with that introduction, thank you, Jim, for having me. And we become a data and analytics company that covers every market. Through our ratings division, indices, market intelligence, we also have the best commodities data and analytics business with pricing. And we also have an automotive engine that's providing information about such a critical market going through autonomous and electric vehicles. You have the, let's just go to, you have a, a vitality index that I love. You have an automotive mobility index. You have what everybody wants. Who creates these? How to decide what people want? And how to decide how, because they're all rigorous. What, what to put in? Well, if you think about the index business that we have, the S&P 500 is the market benchmark, and Dow and all of the different industry indexes around them. With the merger with IHS Market, we brought in a set of fixed income indices that now gives us the ability to have equities, commodities, fixed income. We recently launched a new index, which is of automotive metals. This is giving I the opportunity electric index. vehicle metals. And this is the type of an index that we have with very creative people, but it all starts with listening to our customers. We have to hear what the customers want, what they need to make informed decisions, and the trends that are taking place in markets. Now, you also uh, should, I'll say it for you, your indices business has saved people billions of dollars. This has enabled people to be able to have a low-cost way to invest that we know from Warren Buffett returns better returns for the most part, and you are the custodian. We have a, an, an analysis we do every year. It's called SPIVA, SPIVA, S&P uh, Index versus uh, Active. Over the last 10 years, the index has beat 90% of active managers, and over the last 25 years, saved over $400 billion of fees. $400 billion. $400 billion of fees. I mean, that, that people, people have to understand that's... That is real life savings. That, when it, when it is accumulated and reinvested, is going to change people's lives. Exactly. Now, you yourself have had tremendous margin expansion for your company. And a lot of that is, I think, that people just said, well, look, you know, they sink and swim. If there's a lot of issuance, they do well. If they don't, well, they don't do well. You have created a secular growth company. Sometimes I wish people didn't even know that you also have this great business where you do rate different stocks, different bonds. Well, the ratings business is really foundational to S&P Global. Yes. It goes back over 150 years. But this is a business that, despite having a, a difficult market this year, we see over $7 trillion of debt, which is on balance sheets, which is going to mature over the next three years. This will come back at some point. I can't call a bottom to the market. We have over 1 million ratings outstanding right now and 1,750 analysts that are there. They're working. They're providing the information that markets needs. And people are, would be surprised at how many different ways ratings are used. People think about the letters, but it's the research. It's the analytics. Oh. It's the analysis that goes along with it. And, and everybody in a credit business, a fixed income investment business, they're all using our ratings. Now, there's also judgment. Uh, there's a moment in your analyst day, which is superb, where you're asked about crypto. And I read your answers, basically, it really isn't uh, pertinent enough to what we do. But now I know that you are a straight guy, so you're not set. You did not disparage it, but you did kind of point out it's really not it doesn't qualify. How did you know? It's, it's so early, and it, it hasn't been picked up yet by institutional investors. We really look at our market to server all types of institutions, corporates, governments, and institutional investors. The 
crypto market is not really taken off. And you think about what we provide, reference pricing, data, analytics, research, ratings, et cetera, those are not yet appearing in the crypto market. But we have a full-time team working on this. They are meeting with central bankers, learning about central bank digital currency. They're learning all about the technology behind this. So we can at some point figure out what we could, where we could play in this world. Okay, I'm glad you're not just jumping into it. A no. lot of people did. Uh, there are many people who say, look, there's companies that greenwash. And I always say, have you ever met Doug Peterson? Doug Peterson has never created an index made up of companies that have been, are trying to fool people. You have a group of people who spot that stuff and suss it out. And it's quite an impressive group. We have a group of people that are called Sustainable One. It's a horizontal group across the company. We're providing sustainability, climate, ESG products and services covering every type of analytical pool you'd want. We're serving the markets. There's a, there's a need and demand for sustainability information. We're also watching the possibilities coming out of the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, to see how the markets develop for standardized disclosure. But this is a market that's growing because there's demand. Well, I always tell young people, if it's S&P, it's kind of like a good housekeeping seal of approval. It means that they're, they're, they're not being fooled. You have too many good people to be fooled by the guys who really aren't doing the job. Well, the foundation of everything we do is independence. It's right. rigor. We do things with methodology. We publish our methodology, and we're transparent. And so everything we do follows those principles. Now, you make these acquisitions. I happen to have been on the other side of a deal with you. You don't need too small to talk about. But let's take Ken Show. I knew Ken Show from stuff we had done at CNBC. It seems like what you do is you take the platform of a Ken Show, and then you blow it out to all your different verticals, and it keeps working. Well, Kensho is an artificial intelligence and machine learning company we bought five years ago, and it's really paid off. On Investor Day, we were demonstrating one of the products. It's called Scribe. It takes text and language and turns it into data. And we were actually transcribing our Investor Day right there on the spot. So we're using these tools that transcribe, they connect, they link. They also find new ways to think. And our motto is that we're finding ways to allow an analysts to analyze and not worry about spreading numbers and linking things together. It can spend more time making informed decisions because of the AI that we're bringing. Well, you do a great job. And I do know I, mean, I did a transaction with Doug. And it's very rare you ever meet someone when you do a transaction with. And you hope he has done better than you or at least as well. Because he's such a gent. He's done many deals. They've recreated the company. This is not a ratings company. This is a company that does more analysis than any other company I know about all the different investments that are out there. Doug Peterson, President CEO of S&P Global. Doug, it is so great to have you on the show again. Good to see you. you. Thank you. And money's back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skinny Derek, tell me the lightning round question. Let's start with Colin in Minnesota. Colin. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you, Colin? I'm great. So I'm just curious uh, what your thoughts are about Oshkosh. I know in the past. I had him in here. We had him outside. I like to look at her trucks. I like to look at financials. I like to look at management. I think it's a slow grower. Could be real interesting, though, because, boy, do we need a replacement cycle for that emergency equipment. Let's go to Aaron in New York. Aaron. Hi, Jim. 
I was wondering if you think the IBM bull run will continue and margins on their I have to tell you, I think that, look, i got to be impressed with Arvind Krishna and the strategies using with Red Hat. The stock has had quite a move up. It's in a typical pullback fashion. I think you can actually pick some up tomorrow. Let's go to Gus in Maryland. Gus. Hey, Jim. Hey, Gus. I just want to give you a SP and a Mr. Mark's class, Booyah, Booyah, plus be on the show. Wow. I want to know what you thought about Rex. Uh, you know, I'm not, you know, Rusty Brazil's my guy, and I'm not the ethanol market. I'm not really into that. Uh, I'm going to have to say Ixnail on that one. I'm sorry, partner. Let's go to Trent in Ohio. Trent. Booyah, Jim. Uh, I'm calling in about a stock I own in my investing and money management class. Uh, quick shout out to Mr. Mernan, by the way. Uh, Insight Corporation, INCY. Very, very fine drug company. I've always liked it. I'm putting it on the list. I think it's fantastic. I like your class, too. I think they got, I think they got, your whole course seems, class seems to know what it's doing. Let's go to Tom in California. Tom. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? Happy holidays. Oh, it's great. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing awesome. Hey, I'm a, I'm a longtime right. listener and follower, and I just want to say I think it's amazing the way you can remember all these companies and all these symbols and all the information on each of them. Well, I mean, it's thank crazy. you. It's, thank you. Uh, you know, I want you to join the club. I think the club would be great yeah. for you. How can I help? Well, I really think this company is onto something. Um, they're developing technology that transmit data faster with less power. The company okay. is Lightwave, Lightwave Logic. It's as simple as LWLG, and I hope you have some info on them. Tom, you have cut me to the quick with LWLG. I do not know that stock. But Ben Stoto, which does rhyme indeed with photo, and I are going to huddle in that thing, and we are going to figure what the heck that lightweight company does. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer recaps the final club call of 2022. Everything you need to know from the club it pays to join. Next. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. Nothing like holding a conference call in the midst of the worst selling squall in ages. Yeah, we had our end of the year investing club call today. We do them monthly. Replays available to members now. And while we were talking, the entire market was falling apart. As much as I hate it when stocks are in free fall, that doesn't change the fact that this can be a teachable moment. Here's a great example. I have tremendous faith in the stock of Eli Lilly. They've got a new drug for diabetes that doubles as a weight loss pill. It hasn't been approved for obesity yet, but the early results from phase two trials show an approximately 15% weight reduction take the pill and 20 to 25% if you take it as a shot. 
This is huge because so many other meds cause weight gain. I take Lyrica for arthritis, and when you take it, they warn you that it's going to put on weight no matter how much diet and exercise you do. I don't eat that much, and I am an exercise demon, but the forecast was true. I can't wait to get my hands on Lily's new drug when it's approved for weight loss. But here I am, my research director, Jeff Marks, going over the travel trust positions in the Q&A part of the call, where we answer your questions. And sure enough, somebody wants to know, is it time to take profits? And Eli Lilly? The chart gets put up behind me, and I've seen that while I've been talking, the stock is going into free fall. Two thoughts immediately go through my mind at the the exact second. One is I don't want Carrie D. from Louisiana to lose money on Lilly, as discipline should always trump conviction. I don't want her to turn a gain into a loss. Bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs, well, they get slaughtered. At the same time, I think Lilly's going to have one of the biggest stories for 2023, because this weight loss drug, if approved, could give the stock a massive boost. It was Jeff's question. We all read the responses, and we pointed out that we did trim some lily for the trust because we didn't want to be pigs. But if we didn't already own it, our inclination would be to start buying some. Of course, when you look at that real-life chart and you see the stock plummeting, your gut reactions say, oh, man, it's getting killed. I don't want to touch it. But you can't let panic drive your decision-making if you want to be a good investor. See, a bad investor runs away from a stock just because it's going down. A good investor says, okay, this might be a buying opportunity, given that Lilly just had a successful analyst meeting, and there's nothing company-specific behind this decline. The stock's merely being dragged down with everything else. So here's where I came down. If you own something like Lilly and you're up nicely, you need to take something off the table, assuming you haven't sold anything. But that's not a knock on the company. It's basic discipline. You need to ring the register on anything you own that's up substantially. If only so, maybe you can buy that piece back if the stock ever comes down to a more enticing level. Of course, if you don't own any Lily, then you are being given a chance to start, to start a small position and then buy more on the way down. You've got to be gradual, though, because this market is brutal. You see, there are two possible sins here. If you think, ah, this is it. I've got the level. I'm drawing the line in the sand. I'm going all in. You're not paying any attention to human frailty and the distinct possibility of making a mistake. That's why you never buy or sell all at once. But if you buy too little, the worst that happens is the stock shoots right back up and you have a small profit rather than a larger one. I'm calling that a high-quality profit. Now, ask yourself, which is the worst mistake? Buying Lily all at once only to watch a crater tomorrow or buying a little bit ahead of a rally? I say a small gain beats a big loss any day of the week. I like to say there's always a market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.